Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Ladies and gents, welcome to the next episode of Sophisticated Property Investing with me, Frank Flegg, and... I'll try that again. <laughs> How about you say Pauline Chalmers when I pause? We've never done that before. Uh, no, we haven't done that before. Guys, this is slick, I tell you. Us, <laughs> in, uh, us in the EPP offices, we're like a, a well-oiled machine. Um, guys, welcome to EPP, Ethical Property Partners, with your host for today's podcast, me, Frank Flegg, and... Me, Pauline Chalmers. Ah, see, it works much better <laughs> when I tell you what to do. Exactly. So, <laughs> guys, welcome. In this episode, we are going to be chewing the fat about white-collar HMOs. So houses of multiple occupancy, white-collar people being typically people who work a nine-till-five in office environments, etc., as opposed to blue collar workers who might be working shifts, etc., etc. So, Pauline, you have a fair amount of experience of these, um, mm-hmm. which is why I've invited you on. You also run these in a different part of the country to me, and so I think we might have some different perspectives. But before we jump into white collar HMOs, um, I thought it would be worth us exploring the different types of HMOs that you, our listeners, might have been tempted by and might have uh, actually run yourselves because often you'll hear a guru up on stage or perhaps someone who's running a one-day course talk about HMOs as if it's a holy grail of amazing cash flow and not very much work, which it can be. But more often than not, it's a very specific niche of which there are many. And I think it's worth us just talking about a few of those now. And they are all very different. They have different benefits, different drawbacks, and and then we can narrow in on white-collar HMOs. So um, in my mind, there are about four or five, Pauline. Um, Do you want to kick us off with the different types, and I'll chip in and see if we can cover them all? Yeah, so you've already mentioned two. You've talked about the white-collar and and the blue-collar, and and it's different... um work criteria different individuals and different criteria they have in terms of their spending power and the requirements for the house Um, you've also got students students live in HMOs and again they're there for 10 months of the year rather than 12 months of the year that's a that's a whole different raft of benefits and challenges that come with managing students um, you've also got LHA HMOs, and we do that with with Stepping Stones, with the Stepping Stones project, working with a charity to house their clients as residents. So that would be the kind of four categories that I would think of. Well, I came up with five, but I think actually they're probably a subcategory. So I had LHA, so yes, white collar, blue collar, uh, student and LHA. But the LHA one for me splits down further. So you've got unsophisticated LHA HMOs, which is really where the individuals go and apply for their housing benefit. LHA stands for Local Housing Allowance. It's actually probably more more accurate to say universal credit LHA um, uh, uh, HMO now because LHA is kind of being done away with. It's, It's now encompassed into universal credit, although the LHA rates are still published um, uh, based on the area that the, the property is located in, etc. So the unsophisticated, I'm going to keep calling it LHA, otherwise I get confused. The 
unsophisticated LHA model is where the individuals apply for their own housing benefit and then receive that money from the state and pay their rent. Um, Loads of drawbacks with that because their benefits are paid every four weeks rather than monthly, etc. But then the slightly more sophisticated way of doing it is where we help them and we use this on the stepping stones project not massively but but sometimes with with new charities who aren't ready to take on a lease but the stepping stones model is we help the individuals to apply for their housing benefit and have that paid directly to us so slightly better because the money's not going into the the tenant's account and then they're not having to remember to pay us and they're not tempted to spend it in the interim etc and then the final more sophisticated model which is what you mentioned Pauline is where we actually lease the property to a charity and they sort out the LHA application and the tenancies with their clients and the reason that's more sophisticated for us is it's a lot less work and obviously um uh, 100% occupancy, which is uh, which is great. So we're not going to get into those, but when you're thinking of houses of multiple occupancy, guys, you need to be aware that it's not just one thing. So what we're going to describe today is kind of the <laughs> the the upper end of of the demographic that would want to live in a HMO, and and we'll delve into who we find wanting to share rooms it's an interesting dynamic now that we've had covid for the last couple of years um but certainly there's still a demand for white collar hmos and then the pros and, and cons of those so um your experience pauline in 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 white collar hmos how have you found it uh, to date how long have you been in white collar hmos and um what do you like about it what do you not like about it the first hmo that i i bought was i think about 5 years ago and it um i had blue collar then I had white collar and it's definitely it's definitely fits well with my bias I, I it was my preference to stay away from student accommodation as an HMO and to work more with working professionals that's what I was looking for and there are benefits to it um, we know that their their job profile is a bit more stable so they're slightly less transient than perhaps uh, um, someone that's working shifts that will move around a little bit more perhaps um, can, I, can I just challenge you on that, Pauline? Because I'm I'm interested in that. I'm I'm not convinced that that is my experience. I'm not saying it isn't, but I'm not sure it is. And I, I don't have stats on it because um, we don't actually measure it. Um, my question to you, or my challenge, is: Yes, blue collar workers might change their shift patterns. They might even change employers. Um, but I have found them typically to be quite reliable payers. They're be, be, maybe it's because there are so many blue collar jobs available. Also, maybe it's because of the types of tenants that I have in my blue collar HMOs. So I find that probably 50-50 split between British people and um, European emigrants. So uh, largely Eastern European, Polish Bulgarian, Romanian spring to mind. I'm just trying to think of some of my tenants. And I, I don't know what it is. Maybe the work ethic is there for the blue collar workers, or maybe it's a combination of that and the fact that there's lots of blue collar jobs around. But I've found, yes, they might struggle with one rental payment, but they're very quickly 
got more money coming in. With white collar workers, and I'm interested in your perspective on this, especially over COVID, I've found that Yes, they'll typically have their jobs for longer. I agree with that. However, if they lose their job or if they go off sick or if they are made redundant, for example, or the business closes down or whatever it is, if something happens, I've found them to take longer. And I'm not sure why this is. Maybe it's they're less resourceful. Maybe there's less jobs around. Maybe they're they're more picky, so they're not willing to take anything. But often the interruption to their rental payment will be worse and longer than the blue collar um tenants what's your take on that have I been unlucky or have you found that as well no I I found it fairly evenly balanced actually between Mm. blue and white uh, evenly balanced that the one thing though about white collars is although they you know if, if they're an office job they tend to be more stable they also equally tend to be some of them tend to be more ambitious so therefore, they want to move up the ladder in terms of their progression, in which case they will move around a lot more. Jobs are, you know, you can very easily relocate for a, a job in a different part of the country for that progression in that role. And skill, you know, they get more money, they get a better job. So initially, I found that the, the white collar um, HMO was more stable, if you like. But actually, what I've seen is is what I would have said, the higher quality in terms of job role that they do, someone that's a bit more senior, who's who's focused on becoming managerial level within the in the company they work for, they'll move up and they'll move on. And you're right, blue collar workers, they might change shifts, they might change jobs, but they tend to stay or could stay within the local area. But it's it, it, for me, it's been six and half a dozen. It's been equal across both of them. And I was quite surprised with the white collar HMOs wanting to, you know, being willing to move for that progression. Then I thought, well, why would I think that? Because that's exactly what I did. I moved <laughs> from Scotland to England and from, from Reading to the South Coast. So, you know, that's what happens, isn't it? Mm. People want to progress in their jobs and therefore they're happy to move. Mm. And, and also, I'm guessing, want to progress into their own homes their own mm. apartments, etc., yeah. and and so are, are less um, inclined to stay in a HMO. Yeah, yeah, and that definitely happens with the white collar ones. They're they're the ones that are saving for their house, and that's their maybe their next step. And that's sometimes where they've come out of renting their own one bedroom flat or two bedroom flat, and they move into an HMO for a period of time because they're going to save money on it, and then mm. they can they they you know, save quicker for the deposit. Mm, absolutely. So, what do you like? about um, being a landlord with white collar tenants. You said something um, a moment ago, Pauline, you said um, it definitely plays to your preference or words to that effect. What do you like about it? Um, so that that was more around um, students as opposed to um, blue or white collar HMOs. Um, definitely for, for me, because I, I come from a corporate world, um, I'm very familiar with working with people who have uh, an office job. So it was a preference. And for the for the houses that they they demand, so the 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 quality of the the properties. So the difference I have between white collar and blue collar is mainly the en suites and the quality of the finishings. White collar, but not now actually. There's been a change since COVID. There's been a change in the demand for en suites, where I've noticed that more blue collar workers. Um, have or in that type of job role, then they they want and are happy to pay for 
a, a room that has an ensuite attached to it and not just being a, a house with a limited number of bathrooms where they're sharing. Do you know what? I'm surprised actually what I, this is going to go completely against what everything you've just set, set up at the beginning, but I actually equally like blue collar and white collar. And I was, I'm surprised from having done both, I thought my bias would be far more on, on white collar. And it's just different, to be honest. They're different, um, it's different styles of houses that I have with them. They're furnished and finished to a, a different quality. So for white collar, there's a lot more landlords jumping on the bandwagon a few years ago of finishing their properties to higher standard, making them look more attractive where they've got that they look a little bit prettier. And there's a lot more landlords doing that. Certainly in my area, there's a lot more landlords. So there's a lot more properties available in the white collar area than what there is in the blue collar now. And that means that if there's less demand from from white collar workers, then there's too many you know, the, 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 they can cherry pick the ones they want because there's an oversupply now from where there never was before. So actually, I would have, before, you know, if you'd asked me five years ago, I'd have said definitely white collar all the way because it, it suits, you know, who my background in terms of the people I'm dealing with. But actually, realistically, in what's in the marketplace, I think in certain areas, there's an oversupply of white collar. And Blue collar, as you said, there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits in working with blue collars, um, because they they do pay. You know, they, they pay equally as well as white collars do. I think that the landscape has changed massively over the last two years. Um, I've got friends. In fact, I had some clients, no, no partners, funnily enough, no EPP partners, and that speaks volumes, because. I am very much an advocate, and those of you that listen regularly will know this, to being broad. So having a broad portfolio, diverse portfolio. But some of our prospective clients had come into EPP having massively specialised in white collar HMOs. In fact, some of them had only those in their portfolio and that was their sole income streams. They've been very successful successful at it. But when COVID came along, some of them, 50% of their tenants just moved out. They mm. decided to go live at home. They were no longer bound by their geography of their work. So they could go live with their parents or um, didn't want to self-isolate on their own, so decided to go live with a partner, whereas they wouldn't have done previously. Lots of changing, um, uh, a very changing environment. And you could say, well, you know, how could you have ever predicted a pandemic? Well, no one said in 2020 there'll be a global pandemic, but we've actually discussed this on the partnership many times, haven't we, Pauline, that black swan events do happen fairly regularly and we shouldn't be surprised about them. In fact, we we presented on this in 2019. I went back and looked at my notes. <laughs> we did a whole day's training on how well are we protected against the next black swan event. And no one knew what it would be. But if you look back, you've got the um, credit crunch in 2008, 2007, 2009. No one predicted that, but it, it happened. You've got um, this pandemic now. They, they are fairly regular and you, and you can look back in history and you can expect them to happen in the future. And so we have seen people really struggle that have come to us asking for our help. And of course, it's really hard to do it 
after the fact. It's much better to set up a stable business that has multiple different types of tenants coming from multiple different types of properties. I've got a few thoughts actually on this and I'd I'd love your your thoughts on this afterwards. Some of this is going to be controversial guys but you know me I've got to uh, say it how I I see it. Um, I have recently been a tenant uh, as as those of you that listen regularly will know so um, I've uh, moved out of the home that my uh, ex-wife and I used to live in and I've I've gone and rented a, a property. I could not believe how hard it was to A, find uh, a property and B, rent it. And I think this is useful for us to put ourselves in the position of our clients. So I have a lot of tenants, but I've never actually been a tenant. I've not been a tenant since I was a student at university 20 odd years ago. And so I found myself getting increasingly frustrated with not being able to find a property. Now, interestingly, I was not at all price sensitive. Um, I, I, I needed to be in a very specific geographic location because my kids go to school and have clubs, etc. So I only had about a five mile radius that I could live in because otherwise their kids, their, their friends weren't going to play with them at school, etc. So I needed to be in a really specific location. And I, I would have preferred a property that was furnished. I didn't really want to go to all the inconvenience of furnishing it because I want to go buy my own place, but I couldn't buy one quickly enough. And the furniture might not fit the new place, etc. And I wanted four bedrooms. So furnished four bedrooms within a five mile radius really, really narrowed it down. But what I was completely, yeah, I know. Um, but and I know we're talking about HMOs, but I think it's a useful um, detour to go on for, for a moment. I was willing to pay anything from, I didn't expect to get it for less than a thousand pounds a month, but I was willing to pay anything up to four or five thousand pounds a month. And I could find things further afield, but they were so far away. It it meant that driving my kids to school was far far too long a drive every morning for them. And there was a real lack of stock which is what what you're you're talking about the opposite Pauline you're talking about an oversupply of stock in the white HMO market but some of those guys may be better off turning that into high-end single accommodation Mm, for a premium um I did find one actually I found one property which was kind of done like a commercial let and it had four really high-end um bedrooms all with en suites so they were clearly looking at the HMO market but they were including um super fast broadband um a complete package of sky tv they were clearly looking at people whose companies were sending them into hotels and the irony was and it was that was the giveaway was the giveaway was that it was let by an individual not through an agency and i thought oh that's an interesting model and i am interested they didn't even respond to my inquiry which i found really wow. interesting and that could be because they're not professional they're not you know, um, uh, geared up for it, or it could be that it had already left and they hadn't updated their advert. Who knows? But I ended up paying uh, fourteen fifty a month, one thousand four hundred fifty, which is interesting because I was willing to pay three or four times that. Um, but here's the thing, and I, I've been thinking about the pros and cons in preparation for this um, podcast. The I chatted to the uh, letting agent. I'd lost about seven or eight properties by this stage, so I was checking every evening 
Um, and anything new that had come up in, in my area, I was contacting that evening. And by the time I followed up the next morning, they were typically let. So everything was letting within 12, 24 hours. And so I phoned this one straight away. And the letting agent said, I've got viewings tomorrow. I've got six viewings booked for tomorrow. It only just literally within an hour or two come on, come on the market. Um, he said, but you can take it and take it now. And I said, you're serious. You want me to take it now over the phone? I said, okay, I'll take it. And he said, I need 320 pounds. So I paid 320 pounds mm. there and then to secure it. I hadn't seen it. I'd only had some photos of it. And I was thinking about this. I think <laughs> I was a great tenant because I made a swift decision I paid six months rent in advance. I paid like 10 grand just, just shy. I know. I think with deposit it was over 10 grand actually just at the drop of a hat. Um, I, they didn't actually ask for a guarantor, but most of our white collar tenants in HMOs will be able to provide a guarantor. Mm-hmm. They'll be working, they'll fly through the credit check. So from that perspective, they're really good tenants. The other thing that I like about white collar tenants is they care about their credit score. And so if you find a tenant falls into arrears, I think you're far more likely to be able to reclaim that rent. It might take a little bit of time, but they will pay you back before it goes to court normally, far more often than blue collar tenants in my experience who perhaps don't care about their credit score or perhaps are going overseas and aren't going to live in the UK for for much longer. So looking at myself, I think I was a really good tenant moving in. Um, I certainly care a lot about my credit score, so I certainly won't fall into arrears. However, the flip side, and and I'm going to be really open with you uh, here, the flip side is white collar tenants can be a real pain. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some uh, maintenance issues at, uh, at at my house. I've not even let the tenant, the uh, letting agents know. They might be amazing and send someone around the next day and and fix them. It, it's a really small thing, but it's really winding me up. Um, the door handles, all of them seem to be a little loose and it requires a little um, uh, Allen key uh, to tighten them all up. And there's probably eight of them that need doing in the house. And um, I can't be bothered to go and buy the Allen key that I need. Um partly because I'm busy, partly because I can't stand DIY, and partly because it's not my job, right? <clears throat> These handles were loose when I moved in. However, it's it's gradually winding me up more. And the other thing is the hot water is not quite hot enough. And I've, I've played with the boiler. So by the time I've run a bath for the kids and, and got them undressed and stuff and they're ready to get in, it's like lukewarm. And that's really winding me up as well. But I haven't told the letting agents. It needs a plumber. There's a setting on the boiler that needs um, to be overridden. And I, I can't work out how to override it. I've read the manual and stuff. So there's two things that are winding me up. And if they're listening to this, they'll think, you haven't even told us about this, <laughs> which, which I, I get like that I shouldn't expect telepathy, but I haven't let them know yet. And that's because I want to be a good tenant, right? And I I can't stand my tenants that phone up to change a light bulb. Um, But I then, as I was sat there frustrated a few nights ago, thinking, ah, why haven't they fixed these things yet? Um, (laughs) That they don't yet know about. I, I get the absurdity of this. I do get it. I thought to myself, well, you know, the interesting thing, they've not provided me with an EPC. They've not provided me with a gas safety certificate. They've not provided me with the how to rent guide. And I had to chase them for the inventory. Now, once I chased them for the inventory, they did send it. But that actually means that I could get a refund on all of my rent at the end of my tenancy. I could just uh, get the, the 10 grand back. And I'm pretty sure that is the law. And, it it is. Is. and, and, and also there's a, a penalty 
um, against the landlord for uh, against your deposit because it's not been although that's been protected they yeah. haven't complied with all of the uh, requirements around the tenancy so can I get more than my 10 grand back yeah ah awesome now I'm not going to do that by the way because I'm a nice tenant and I wouldn't want someone else to do that to me and they haven't done anything wrong <laughs> but how many of my blue collar tenants would know all of that and would be thinking that and I've let I've met my landlady. She happened to to be there on the viewing. She's a first time landlord. She's actually on one of my friends' courses. She's learning how to oh. be a landlord on one of my friends' courses, um, and it's been done through a letting agent. So the letting agent is, and it's a national um, uh, firm of letting agents. They're not like a, a little local uh, outfit, and they have just completely stuffed up. The interesting thing is they're trying to impress me and they're trying to get my business. Mm-hmm. And when I pointed out that the inventory wasn't done, the the excuse was, well, it was done in December and, you know, things don't quite go to plan in December. And I'm like, <clears throat> I don't care. I need, I need you to follow your systems. But my point about the white collar tenants is they're far more likely to be litigious. Yeah. They're far more likely to, to jump on the, I've got these rights, et cetera. And the blue collar workers just in my experience, seem to just go more with what's fair. And I know the example I've given there is, well, I wouldn't dream of doing that because I'm fair and I I wouldn't want someone else to do that to me. You know, they've been, she's been a good landlord and the letting agents have done their their best, albeit slightly uh, disappointing. But I'd rather a tenant who wasn't aware of all the ways they can claim back money from a landlord if the letting agent drops the ball than a than a tenant that knows it all knows that you know how many tenants who could claim back 10 12 however many thousands of pounds would sit there going yeah but I won't because um that wouldn't be the right thing to do or I won't because it's not the landlady's fault it's the uh the fact that the agent were were too focused on their Christmas holidays to send out the documents and get me to sign to say that they'd received them and so I do think there's an additional risk yes you get the guarantor yes you get the the credit reference that that comes back a star yes they you've got some clout when it comes to a CCJ because white collar tenants are uh are fearful of anything adversely affecting their credit score, but also you get the entitlement and the, and I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing. You know, by the letter of the law, I've been wronged. The government have said that as a tenant, I have now been wronged and I am due my 10,000 pounds back. I think that's ridiculous. I don't think that's fair at all, but that's the law. And that's what our democratically elected government have decided is fair. And so I'm not saying that this entitlement is wrong. I'm just saying I have a preference for people who (laughs) don't um, feel that they're entitled in this manner and aren't looking for loopholes to escape their responsibility. So I think that's an important factor. Have you come across that at all, Paul? A little bit, actually. And um, I'm, I was smiling to myself. You're talking about renting. I've just rented a place in Derby. I live in the South Coast, but I've just rented a place in Derby because I'm up here regularly. And I got the keys about four weeks ago. I've been there twice, I think. My shower doesn't work properly. And the oven 
there's a problem with the oven and I haven't told the letting agent yet. <laughs> We're like the best tenants in the world, aren't we? <laughs> we keep paying and don't moan. Most tenants uh, just don't pay and moan loads. Yeah, that's exactly, funny. <laughs> exactly. It's just like, oh my God. Um, I, I think I think you're right. There's, there's definite pros and cons. I mean, the other thing is that, and you touched on it, white collar tenants are, are the ones that are more likely to phone you and say, the light bulb's gone. And blue collar ones, are, are, in my experience, are more likely to be slightly more collaborative and just get on with it themselves. And, you know, they'll, they, they fix things. Maybe because they're sharing more. Um, they share the, Jeff has share the bathroom and the kitchen area and they are sharing more. Then they, they do seem to be more, well, I'll, I'll just do that and, and just get on with it and, and do it because they know the impact is on everyone else as well and not just mm. themselves. Whereas the white collar are more likely to, the, the light bulb's gone. And obviously it's a tenant's responsibility to place their own light bulbs. It's our responsibility to make sure they're all working when they move in. But in their their own their own bedroom, for example, they should replace them in the, the length of their tenancy. But the, they might not see it as entitled and we're describing it as entitled, but it's not a negative thing. It's just their perception is that's that they should have that. That's what they're they're paying for and they're, they're less likely to pick up the legs and walk to the, the supermarket and buy another light bulb and come back. I don't know what I was expecting them to pick up there. But... Yeah, you've just reminded me of something else now. I knew there was something else. It escaped me. Um, the uh, light on the cooker hood doesn't work. Oh, um, and... the light in the filter fridge has gone. And, oh. Well, for me, it's the cooker hood and I cook loads. And, um, and I was like, oh, that's rubbish. But I'm a tenant, so I've got to do the light bulb. And then I was like, yeah, but it wasn't there when I moved in. And uh. I'm not going to make, uh, make a thing. I'm going to uh, take the bulb out and Google it. It's probably one you have to buy on Amazon and stuff. And it's just, it's just that little, those little things, isn't it? And it's, it's funny. The, the blue collar workers that, that, uh, and this is in their own homes as well as in HMOs. I agree. I was just thinking about all the works. I've had tenants do a lot of work to a lot of my properties. 90, 95% of, has, has been done by blue collar workers. They've put in uh, bathrooms, they've decorated rooms, they have um, changed stuff, they've fixed stuff. I, I, I'm amazed actually at how much they do, but I think it's just this get on and 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 do it attitude i want something fixing i can do it i'll spend my sunday afternoon doing that um and also when there's a problem and you're struggling for a workman the number of times a blue collar worker has said i've got a friend that can do this are you mm. happy with them doing it they are certified and i'll always say yes because then they can sort it out with their friends usually you get it at makes rates as well um and it it, it appeases the tenant because then they're in control so yeah it's interesting isn't it there is a there's definitely a different mindset for sure mm. you touched on it earlier i think i think it's having a pillar just of one you know if you just do all white collar HMO. And when I when I started doing HMOs, that was my preference. But actually having both now, I think there's a, a massive benefit because you're serving different clients in different ways. So at the start of the pandemic, the rooms that I had, the first time ever that I've had voids came in the pandemic with white collar workers. Mm. I'd never had them before. And they've since been filled, but it's but I didn't have any in the blue collar ones. Ah, that's interesting. Just, just in white, and they because and they and they um they moved back to their own countries. That was that was it. They went they went home basically. So, um, your white collar workers did, or your blue collar workers? My, my white collar workers went back did. to where. So they were yeah. they they they'd been staying here from other countries. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I've got a couple of points that I want to raise. Um, 
I'm going to ask you this one in a moment, Pauline, and that's how have you found the intertenant relations uh, in white collar versus blue collar and LHA? I've got some uh, some thoughts on that. So I'll come to that in a moment, if I may. The thing I want to f- highlight for everyone listening is we don't know what's around the corner. We couldn't have predicted that blue collar tenants would have been more loyal or would have been better payers or would have been would have stayed in the properties more than white collar which is what Pauline just said she experienced in the pandemic that's impossible to predict so we don't know what's going to happen in the landscape I think the only uh, constant that we can rely on is that things will continue to change Um, and there will be more legislation there'll be different legislation the tax environment will change etc so we have and that's another reason why I like diversity because any one impact who would have foreseen mortgage rate relief being taken away no one would have done it it doesn't make any sense there's no business in the UK that gets taxed on their turnover rather than on their profit, apart from landlords, <laughs> residential landlords are the only industry in the country that gets uh, taxed on that. I imagine in the world, there are not that many industries that get taxed on turnover, but no one can foresee this. No one foresaw the 3% stamp duty rise just being bought in very, very swiftly. So given that we can expect lots of change moving forwards i think it's sensible to consider the flexibility in use of our properties so you were talking um pauline about an oversupply of white collar properties in your area in the southampton area and that that's largely due to landlords doing up their properties to really high standard that actually makes me a little nervous. Now I have some of my properties done to a four star standard, some of them done to like a five star star standard, and then the majority are two star, something like that. And I'm just using that as an indicative uh, um, measurement. I don't mean, you know, stars in terms of hotels and facilities, but to give you an idea of the standard. So a lot of bread and butter, and then some very nice. And I'm always thinking whenever I buy a new property, I'm completing on one this week, actually, uh, a five bed blue collar HMO <laughs> out of out of uh, uh, coincidence, coincidentally. And I'm always thinking to myself, right, if I do this work to this property, what will my ROI be? And we've talked about the ROI triangle, return on investment triangle previously. But not only what will my ROI be, but also what else can I use this property for? So if it doesn't work as a white collar HMO, what can I use it for? And if you've done a property up to the nines, there's really only one use and that's serviced accommodation. But who wants to come and stay in a bedroom with a shared kitchen in service accommodation? Now you might might find people that wanting to do that, you know, the bot, bottom end of Airbnb. And I know people that supplement their HMO income with that, but there's not a lot else you can do with it. Whereas if you've got quite a, a modestly done up property, maybe a a four out of 10 rather than a nine out of 10, you could drop that to blue collar HMO. You could use it as an LHA HMO. Like I wouldn't put LHA tenants in my five, five star properties because if I get a bad one and they don't respect it, I'm highly likely to lose thousands of pounds, maybe even tens of thousands of pounds in having to redo that property. So I think flexibility of the the property's use 
is really important to consider when choosing the tenant class, when choosing how nicely to do it up, when choosing how many bathrooms to put in it, etc. Um, Pauline, I asked you a question uh, and then talked over you. <laughs> um, <laughs> how have you found relationships? So we'll wrap up in the next few minutes, but how have you found relationships between tenants in white collar HMOs? I'm fairly hands-on in, in my portfolio. I've got a team that, that, that manage the portfolio, but I it is key, especially when you get to larger properties. And if you're talking about four people living together is, is only four, if you get to seven or eight, then there's you just need one one person who's different from the rest or who doesn't mix well, et cetera, to create a lot of friction in the house. So I'm cautious about who, who comes into all of the properties, but actually specifically HMOs. And that, is that mix going to work for them? Do, is this person um, going, to, going to fit well with the house, basically, of the, the type of individuals that are already living there? I haven't had any issues uh, apart. The, the, actually, the one the one issue that I've had has come from a white collar HMO, where it, it came in in through COVID actually when everyone started to work from home, and they wanted to take over the lounge area to work from, which then dominated the space and prevented everyone else from using the space. And that's really it. So I think I, I I'd say that maybe in the, in the blue collar, everyone tends to come and go at different times. That's the nature of it. If they're all working shifts, so even if they're working nine to five, most of them are working at all different times. So the house comes and goes at different times. Whereas in the white collar, they tend to be around more at the same time. I haven't found any friction with it. But when things change, when that black swan event happens that has an impact on their living arrangements, that's when the fr- friction arose. I hope that has given you, I know we haven't come down on one side of the fence. We haven't said, oh, you should do white collar. Diversity, diversity. I think think that's the side of the fence who've come down on Pauline. You're absolutely right. I think having a variety of properties in a variety of neighborhoods is absolutely key. And you don't get as smooth and as efficient, but boy, do you get safety. And I think that's, uh, that's critical. Guys, thank you for joining us. We will see you in our next episode. Until then happy investing sophisticated property investing a podcast brought to you by ethical property partners the experts in sophisticated property investment